This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the New York Yankees splitting the series two games to two. They are currently still second place in the American League East, 14 games back of the New York Yankees. They are still in first place in the American League wildcard race by two and a half games. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at Cushman MLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, uh, doing a lot better than I thought I was going to be doing by, I'd say, Saturday afternoon when I was at a bar on Lansdowne Street surrounded by Yankees fans because they just invaded Boston this weekend. Um, That was kind of gross. Even was subjected to a let's go Yankees chant that took over an entire Boston bar. Not great. Not a great look for us, but especially since we were down 2-0 by that point in the series, but we bounced back. I'll take the series split. So all in all, you know, not too bad. I wonder if they could call like Terminex and they could show up with these high powered hoses. Just, I mean, I, I was just hoping for like a little bit of a rebound from the citizens of Boston, but uh, apparently y'all just stayed home to watch the game and <laughs> didn't go to Fenway. Holy crap. Yeah. And I mean, up until basically what the eighth inning of game three, it looks like you're going to be down three and oh, I mean, it yep. was a, it was a big uh, series for comebacks and, and bad Yankees defense, which we'll get into, but Jason, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at color of the Iris on Twitter. Very good. Also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Yo, 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 this was a wild one. I, uh, I'm super happy to say that the record was even after four games, but uh, I'm going to be a little bit honest. We got really lucky in this series. Still happy we won two, though. We certainly did. I mean, we were talking in the pre-show. 
Josh Donaldson couldn't transfer the ball out of his glove. Only got one out. If it were two outs, we lose. Would have been a double play to end the ninth, or that would have been the tenth, rather, I think. And then, uh, and then tonight, DJ LeMahieu, couple of couple of botched uh, fly balls that he tried chasing out to shallow uh, right field and couldn't come up with either of them. So, so yeah. So uh, we're gonna get into the weekend top five normally we do this if a series is one but i think a split is a win here the way the month has been going so that's how we will attack it uh so in the five spot charlie who do we have in our five spot uh, after this series we got jeter downs uh while it was a relatively small sample size it was incredibly awesome to see Jeter Downs in the third game of this series get a big clutch RBI single going oppo right past the second baseman, make this a one-run game, and then who scores the game-winning run? Jeter Downs. Pretty sweet. And there's no one else that I can thank more to make this opportunity possible than Josh Donaldson who fumbled the ball and kept this inning going. It is so cool to see another Jeter in the game and one not wearing stripes. And I'm happy. I'm just, I'm, I'm super happy to see this kid also take big hacks and make contact when the bases are loaded. Wasn't a great, like wasn't the, the best outcome, but it was still something to get a runner across got another RBI tonight. It was another domino falling for the Yankees. They just could not seem to get it together. Jeter Downs is putting balls into play. One for three on the series. Scored a couple of runs, knocked in a couple of runs. One strikeout. I'm, I'm super happy to see this kid up here now. This is, this is great. Like, finally, we're seeing the return on our investment for all those pieces that we got back after sending Mookie Betts on his way. So this is very exciting. Jason, anything you want to add? Yeah, I was happy to see him in this series. Um, I'm happy to see him get a real shot. Um, it seems like with injuries going the way they are, it seems like he's going to get a lot more playing time, which I think is what he needs. Um, you know, again, he was raking down in Worcester before he was he was called into Boston. So, you know, all we've heard is that, okay, he's really turned it around offensively, you know, over in Worcester, but – he got like a small two-game sample size earlier this year, didn't really do anything, and had some ugly at-bats, and everyone kind of went, oh, jeez, okay. There's another part of the Mookie Best trade that's not really panning out. But he looks better this series. He looked a little more calm and confident at the plate. Um, had a nice RBI hit in, in game one, and then obviously tonight DJ LeMahieu kind of helped him out. But, hey, you know, that's, that's the way the game goes. He also looked – very smooth defensively and he was playing at third base which he doesn't do a ton of that he's shortstop second base mostly so to see him play third and to look smooth and he's got a good throwing arm you know looks confident over there it was all good to see um i'm excited to see more of him i hope that obviously injuries suck and and i you know we don't want to see rafael devers miss too much more time and obviously christian arroyo's on the il now so we're going to be without him for a while 
but I would like to see Jeter Downs get more regular at bats at the major league level because what I don't want now is I don't want Cora sitting him on the bench for three games in a row and then only playing him when Story needs a day off or Bogarts needs a day off or whatever. Um, try to get him in there, you know, just even if you have to give Bogarts an extra day off or whatever's going on with Devers, if he needs another day off, fine, put Downs back in there. I just want him getting regular at bats because at this point, that's what he needs to continue his development. So he's got a little bit of confidence now after this series. He was a big part of it, made a big splash, got his first major league hit out of the way. So that pressure is off his his shoulders. I want to see more because I I like the way he looks. Um, I just hope that there is enough there that we can look at and say, this kid could be a big leaguer. I was kind of surprised to see him up. I'm guessing that was the corresponding move for Arroyo going on the uh, injured list. So I, I wasn't even aware of that before the game started. I, I didn't check the, um, you know, my beat writer tweets before the game, but he certainly made his mark and had been on a hell of a hot streak down in Pawtucket. I think he had hit five home runs in the span of about a week and a half. So by calling him up, they were basically, you know, riding the hot hand and it was great to see him, you know, make his mark uh, like this tonight when he hit the, uh, I think it ended up being the go ahead RBI. The Red Sox had the bases loaded. And then that was one of the balls. I think LeMahieu couldn't come up with, but it would have been so cool if um, it would have been so cool if he hit Chapman deep, and that's what Devers did. So I said on Twitter it would be the ultimate uh, rite of passage had Downs been able to um, do that. So, uh, but he made his mark in a number of ways, as you guys pointed out, and it was fun to see. I don't know how we're going to really get him some games though, because it sounds like Devers is coming back tomorrow. And then Bogart's story, nothing's happening with them. Unless you want to try him at first. I, I don't know if they would do that. That sounds sketchy. So yeah, but it was fun to see. And we all like a, a call up that uh, is captivating, and and that certainly was. Jason, who's number four? Yeah, in the number four spot, we've got Cutter Crawford. Um, if you had asked me going into this series, who's going to be the most impactful starter of the weekend, I would not have said Cutter Crawford. I would have said Nick Pavetta first, probably Josh Winkowski second. Um, Crawford may have been my third choice apart from Connor Siebold, but he was excellent. Um, five innings, six Ks, only made really one mistake, and that was the home run to Hicks. Um, he was very, very good, and he's been Jekyll and Hyde ever since he's come up. He's had a couple of really rough outings where, quite frankly, he doesn't even look like a big leaguer. Um, he's had some other outings where um, he's looked really good, So, and and this was one of them, and it was – a very important outing for him because I think this is a fringe major leaguer that we're looking at. There's debate about whether or not he can be a starter, whether or not he's more of a reliever, 
I still lean towards him being more of a relief pitcher, swing guy, two innings at a time kind of guy, not a high leverage pitcher, but he showed you that as a spot starter, he can go in there and do a really good job. And when his stuff is on, he's tough to hit and he can throw hit, you know, he can throw offenses off. So uh, really important outing for him. Again, with the amount of injuries that the Red Sox are dealing with, with the pitching staff right now, you need guys like this to come up and step up and not just flounder in, in the spotlights um, like some other guys like Winkowski, like Seabold. You know, he went out there and delivered when he really needed to. So big time guts, you know, blood and guts performance from Cotter Crawford. And again, his next outing, he may go out there and get shelled. It's just kind of the way it is. I, I don't consider him to be, you know, a top pitching prospect in this system, but he's an important guy for depth. And that really, you know, that really showed this weekend. So good outing from him and hopefully he can follow that up now. I think Jason brings up some really good points um, in, in what I like to call the Red Sox quality start where you go five innings uh, Crawford in his last four has given you three. So he's gone five innings plus in, in three of those four, he got shelled as Jason mentioned against St. Louis. We don't know how he'll do in his next appearance, but in those 15 and a third innings, he's allowed seven hits, one run by way of the home run. And he has, 17 strikeouts in 15 and the third innings. That's pretty good. Um, that's probably two starts by like an ace pitcher. It's three right now for Crawford until he gets stretched out because this is someone who was not starting originally, uh, just a you know, short couple months ago. Um, I am kind of curious to see what happens with him moving forward because you know, Jason was talking about how it was so great, and you mentioned too, Terry it's so great to see some of these rookies getting an opportunity because I feel like sometimes we hold on to these prospects and we just, we don't do anything with them. We don't give them an opportunity. And this is the perfect storm. There are so many injuries right now. We're depending on double AA, a triple a pitching to kind of come up. We're depending on double AA, a triple a hitters to kind of do their job. I'd like to see Cutter Crawford, you know, give us the same kind of quality performance as he's been doing um, the past couple of months, obviously, Fingers crossed, naturally. I'm sure Jason and I are, are, are aligned here. We want to see him go five-plus, allow no more than two, three runs at the most, strike out five, six guys, and and give us that that appearance that we're going to need moving forward. Cutter Crawford had 67% of his pitches go for strikes. That's really important, especially when you see people out there that are struggling to even hit 60%. So when you're you're getting almost seven out of ten pitches to go for strikes, you're doing your job. And uh, I was really impressed to see what I – what I did see out of Cutter Crawford, very happy, very content. I think at the very least, Crawford is probably at this point your most trusted spot starter if you need one. And it's just a little refreshing that we we have a guy like that. Connor Siebold is on the injured list, so he's not going to be a problem for us anytime in the in the near future. So I think regardless, I think Crawford would have been the guy over him. Uh, we're going to be getting some bodies back. Uh, Chris Sale comes back this week. Brian Bayo is staying up. Uh, Winkowski seems to be uh, staying up for the time being. 
So we'll take what we can get from the kid. The the other one other encouraging thing I actually meant to point out uh, before now is he's not rattled at all. And I know I like to say that about certain people, but he's he's weathering the storm. He's not letting those bad. He's had some doozies out there on the mound where he got shelled and that doesn't seem to be that doesn't seem to be a hindrance for him. He he's moving past it. He's he's finding ways to to improve and to to help the team as best as he can. So I'll say that about uh, Crawford. A little bit nervous about one of our rookie pitchers this series uh, because it didn't go well last week. But uh, I think going forward, like Jason said, he's he's probably going to be a a multi inning bullpen guy for sure. Uh, number three on the um, weekend top five, I'm going with Matt Strom, who basically got through the whole series uh, with no blemishes whatsoever. He gave up, I think, a solo in the last series against Tampa in an eighth inning appearance and really hasn't looked great since early June when he was on a really impressive run. Some of us on this podcast wanted him to essentially be the closer. And he's kind of kind of not quite fallen off the tightrope, but you know, it's 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 been tough at times for him. He's he's grinded and hopefully this series was a was a sign that he's going to be back on the right track and he's going to be viable in in 7th, 8th and ninth inning roles wherever he's needed. Jason thoughts. Yeah, Matt Strom uh to use a soccer term had a clean sheet for this whole series. Pitched 3 out of the 4 games, didn't ro- allow a run, only 2 hits, struck out 5. Didn't walk anybody, pretty much kept it really clean. So Against that Yankees offense, that is really impressive. Um, and like Terry said, he, he's been a guy who, you know, has been up and down lately. And I don't have the same confidence in Matt Strom that I did in the month of May when he was just unhittable and, you know, was was looking like he should assume the closer, the closer role. Um, June was a tough month for him. He, you know, got bounced around a little bit. If this is kind of the series that gets him back on track and gets that confidence going again, then that's great because you do need high leverage guys that you can rely on in the eighth, maybe even ninth innings. Um, again, all the rumors are that Garrett Whitlock is going to resume the closer role when he comes back. But, you know, the Red Sox also said he'd be the closer to start the year. And then, you know, five, you know, two, three weeks in, uh, they went back on that. So they seem to change their mind a lot. So you're going to need guys like Matt Strom who you can rely on in big leverage situations against tough AL East opponents. So had a great series. Um, again, just hopefully he doesn't relapse because if he's one of these guys that goes on a good stretch and then just kind of, you know, a week later just gets tattooed all over the place, that doesn't help you. And that still signals that you need bullpen help. So um, Matt Strom has got to keep it going. And this was a good start for that. There's not too much to add on top of what Jason said. Um, I was really impressed with Strom. He he pitched in game one. He pitched game three and four. No runs. Five Ks in three innings. A couple hits allowed. 
almost 80% of his pitches went for strikes. Like that's, that's one of the metrics that I'm, I'm curious to know, like how, how great are you at keeping your pitches in the zone? How consistent are you? And his three games, 71% strikes, 83% strikes, 82% strikes. The two base hits allowed are, I think, a really important metric. You're already striking out over one an inning, so I feel good about that. No runners came around to score, no walks, no home runs allowed. This is incredible because, I, you know, I'm curious to know what happens with Garrett Whitlock. If he does come in and assume the closer role, Matt Strom needs to continue pitching like this. It's not going to be a question. You have a left-handed John Schreiber. This is someone who can, you know, continue to do great work, consistently pitch over an inning if necessary, as he did in the first game, three strikeouts. That's huge. Um, Incredibly impressive performance. (laughs) This is against the Yankees. This isn't just, you know, no offense to the Orioles or the Reds, like a bottom team that's not doing great, albeit Orioles are starting to come alive. Strom had to face really, really good hitters. So props to him. I just want to point out real quick that based on some of Cora's comments last week, Garrett Whitlock is actually slated to be a multi-inning reliever. So either Hauk or, or Schreiber will will pitch the ninth uh, based on some comments last week. Yeah, and that could very well be the case. I mean, that's kind of how they used him before. Even when he was closing, he would pitch multiple innings and then close it out. Um, but you're right. It could be just Cora just goes with, again, we always say he writes the hot hand. So it could be that he, you know, uses Whitlock for a couple of innings. It could also be that now that he's gotten injured and he's had an injury history, maybe they're sort of going, okay, let's pump the brakes on making him close out every single game. So maybe he pitches two innings at a time and then driver or Hauk takes the ninth, something like that. That wouldn't surprise me either. Either way, he's not going into the starting rotation. So as long as he has the bullpen, that's a plus. Yeah. Yeah. Just just to add that, if, if Hauk ends up becoming the closer again and, and Whitlock doesn't, for whatever reason, assume that role, which would be a, a surprise, um, I'm okay with that because Whitlock has proven that he can handle multiple innings in whatever the situation, in whatever the scenario. It doesn't seem to matter. He's still dominant. And with Whitlock back, you're going to be seeing a lot less of Brazier, Sawamora and all those guys, at least in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. So it's good to see. And I like Matt Strom. And uh, before we do move on, I just want to say I never quite lost confidence in him like like we did Robles, like we did Barnes. It just it seemed like he was just maybe one step away from whether it was mechanical or or whatever. Uh, to to fixing it, and I mean he he might still scuffle, but I I think you know by the end of the season they'll they'll have him right. I I can see him pitching some some big relief appearances in the playoffs. Let's put it that way. Number two on the weekend top five, I think that goes to Charlie. Yeah, so number two is Trevor Story. Uh, Trevor had a relatively quiet first couple games. Uh, in the first three games, he went two for 13, did have a solo home run, struck out four times in that span. So if there was one player in Boston right now that was due for a really good game four, it was Trevor Story. So Trevor matched 
the number of hits he had in the first three games, going two for 13 today, two for four with a single, a huge bases-clearing double to deep center field, which really put the game out of reach for New York. At that point, it was pretty much over. He scored three runs in this game, too. Um, Story is a threat on the base paths. He is a perfect 10 for 10 this year, I believe, as far as stolen bases are concerned. And similar to Jaron Duran, it does kind of, he does end up becoming a type of player where you have to kind of plan and attack differently when they're when he's on the bases. But similar to game three, where, uh, you know, we had a hero in that game, we had a hero in game four, and that was Trevor Story. You know, if if you end up winning us a game with the hits that you're having and scoring runs and doing your job, playing great defense, it's going to be really hard for me to complain about you. Overall, four for 17, a couple of singles, a double, a homer, four runs batted in, four runs scored, and four strikeouts. I will take that. That is a great quality performance for Trevor Story. And truth be told, if Trevor Story doesn't get that basis clearing double, it's not a guarantee that I'm feeling warm and fuzzy against the New York Yankees in the top two innings where we've been known to potentially fall apart and then go to extras. Yeah, and that was really the key is that that basis clearing double opened up the game late. And you you took a 10-6 lead late in the game. And by that point, the Yankees were pretty much spent. Like you, you pretty much had them on the ropes and you were able to finish them off. So look, I, I still want more out of Trevor's story. If I'm being brutally honest, he, he's still not performing up to what my expectations of him are. Um, and I think that's, that goes for a lot of other Red Sox fans as well. But I mean, tonight he showed you what he's capable of that double that was smoked. That ball was smoked. And I think in a couple of other ballparks, maybe more than we think, that might have been a home run. I mean, that, that ball was crushed. It's just the the high wall up there in left field that stopped it. So when he does make contact like that, it's it, it's true. And it's, you know, he really shows his hitting prowess when he can really lay into one like that. So it was a great game for him. He made up for a lackluster first couple of games. Like Charlie said, he was pretty quiet up until that point. Tonight – that was a big hit in a big series. And, you know, it, it's it's one of those sort of, you know, extra things at the end of the game where he said, look, this is why I play, this is why I signed here. I wanted to play in games like this. I wanted to play in a Red Sox Yankees rivalry. And let's face it, of course he does. He was out in Colorado for his whole career. Like they don't have a rival. Their their rival, if you want to call it that, is the Dodgers. And it's not really a rivalry because the Dodgers just beat their brains in every single time they play him. He's in a real rivalry now, and he's in a real division that is competitive, and he's on a team that has a chance to not only make the playoffs, but if they get everything rolling, potentially go deep. And I think tonight he really got a whiff of that. He got a whiff of the rivalry and what playing in a really important game feels like. And maybe that gives him a little bit of a jolt. You know, maybe he just – has kind of been second-guessing the move to Boston and the signing and all that. And maybe a game like tonight, he kind of goes, wow, yeah, this is what it's all about, rather than just playing the Diamondbacks in late September for, you know, no reason at all. I'm here in Boston, and, you know, a sold-out Fenway Park is is cheering while I clear the bases with a double. That's awesome. So maybe that's the kind of thing that just, I don't know, gives him a little bit of a spark, wakes him up a little bit, and – maybe propels him to have a really great second half. Wishful thinking, perhaps, but 
you never know with some of these guys. So it was nice to see that moment from him tonight. I think he needed that. When you sign a guy like Trevor Story, you're hoping that he's going to be really relevant in big games. And every game of the season against the Yankees, whether it's 18 or 20, those are huge games. And you want them more than anyone to feel the impact of a guy like Trevor Story. That really didn't happen until tonight uh, in the final game. He was three for 22 against the Yankees. If you include the, the two games that he played against them in April. So three for 22. And then tonight makes a huge, uh, you know, impact by essentially putting the game out of reach. We did have a lead. I think we were up what uh, seven to five or eight to five. And then those three runs come across and, and um, it's, that that was like okay we we can breathe now you you only had to hold it together for two innings so hopefully like you said Jason this is the spark we haven't got all that we've wanted out of him but we just crossed the halfway point in the season last week so we we could still hopefully have excuse me a big uh second half from Trevor Story so here we go. Number one on the weekend top five. Who is it, Jason? Who's number one? Number one is Alex Verdugo. Um, much like Trevor Story, actually had very quiet first two games. In fact, he did nothing first two games. He went 0 for 8 um, and just provided no impact at all. Then game three rolls around and he brings you back twice. He brings it back to tie the game and then he wins it for you uh, in the ninth. So just a really, really big time hit from him. Um, and then even tonight, just, you know, a couple of hits, drew a walk. Um, that that bases clearing double, he was on first base. He made it all the way around, really hustled. And just the energy he provides, sliding in, you know, fist pumping. Alex Cora was pumped up. This is the kind of guy that when you're winning, you love to have Alex Verdugo's energy because he gets everyone else fired up. He gets the crowd fired up even gets his manager fired up. Um, you know, the clubhouse loves it. And, you know, he's against Toronto. He was hitting home runs and kind of staring down the crowd. We've seen him at Yankee Stadium when he gets into it with Yankee fans. He, I think he hates the Yankees as much as any other Red Sox fan does because he always gets into it with their fans out there in, in left field. He's always jaw-jacking and barking with them. So he's a great fit at least when the Red Sox are winning. Now, you know, the caveat to that is when they're losing and he's getting a hot head and he's doing that stuff, you kind of go, okay, Alex, geez, relax. But a series like this where you had games you needed to win on the back end and he was a big part of it and he was fired up and getting his team fired up, that was great to see. And again, the Red Sox, after the first two games, Will Middlebrooks even tweeted it. He's like, they look lifeless they look like they need jumper cables put on them because they just, I don't know, for a Red Sox-Yankees series at Fenway Park, they just looked like they didn't, they just didn't have it. Like they couldn't keep up and they knew it. But he brings them back in game three and you saw what happened tonight. They just would not go down. They, they just kept swinging and they kept coming back. And I think that his energy and his charisma really helps with that. So 
he's still a guy that I, I want a little more out of. He's still kind of having a little bit of a down year in my opinion, but this was a big series for him. And this is the kind of guy you'd love to have on your side in a rivalry, rivalry like this. So really nice weekend from him. Um, Saturday was one of his best moments as a Red Sox since he's come here. Hopefully there's a lot more to come because he's going to be very important down the stretch. You know, J- Jason said it already, but Alex Verdugo had a, a similar kind of beginning of the series that Trevor Story did. Very quiet, 0 for 8, couple strikeouts, walk, just wasn't really happening. But Jason Verdugo's, uh, J- oh, Jason Verdugo, I'm combining Jason with Verdugo. Alex Verdugo's energy, when you see him on the field, it is something else. This is probably the only player that I'm considering saying, yeah, sure, you can mic him up. He's going to add some entertainment. He's going to be fun. He has the same type of energy that the Pirates' O'Neill Cruz does. O'Neill Cruz has so much fun when he's running the bases, fielding, throwing 95-mile-an-hour lasers to first from short on his knees, on his ground, diving, whatever. Alex Verdugo, when he came around and scored the third of the three runs off of that bases-clearing double for Trevor Story, the smile on his face was like Julia Roberts in... uh, that movie with Richard Gere. I can't think of it. Pretty woman right now. Pretty woman. Thank you. It was like that. He was so excited. It was like a kid in a toy store. It was so great to see because had he come up and just been like, yup. All right, we got it. And walked back would have been like, all right, business as usual, but he's just not that guy. Like he is the fun loving player that, you know, he wants to have fun. He had a blast getting that game winning hit in game three Three for five, three singles, three RBIs. Today, two for four, another couple singles, a walk, a run scored, no strikeouts. So you go 0 for 8 and follow that up with a 5 for 9 performance. I will take that every day. And these are the things that we need. You're starting to see players like Alex Verdugo, perhaps struggling a little bit at the beginning, then lighting up the Christmas tree in the end. And he is the direct response that we needed to have to the Yankees in order to win game three. He won us game three. It feels like Alex Verdugo is doing better than what his stats indicate, because when, when you look at how impactful he's been over the past few weeks with a lot of clutch hits, and then you look at his average and it's 262 with a 310 on base. You're like, wow, I just thought he was hitting a little bit better than that. You know, he's got six home runs, 46 ribbies. It kind of feels like he's hit more than six home runs, but I think it all ties back to the lack of strikeouts. He's only had 34 all season. And in, let's see, 79 games that he's played. Only four of them have been multi-strikeout games. And one of those did happen to be this series, actually. Um, game two, he was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. But still, I, the fact that he's not giving you those painful at-bats at the plate, like with Dahlbeck swinging out a ball down by his ankles tonight with the bases loaded, you're just not seeing those types of at-bats with... Alex Verdugo. So 
perhaps his numbers will come up as well in the second half. I mean, we need to if we're gonna if we're gonna fantasize about a World Series run here, you know, we got to have a big second half. And Alex Verdugo, Trevor Story, a couple of guys we're talking about in this show, they have to they have to have uh, you know a big last three months to get there. But he's. I mean, is there anybody on the team more likable than than Alex Verdugo? I mean, everybody loves Bogart's endeavors, but even if we hated him, you know, you have to. They're they're here doing their thing. I just, you know, I th- I think a lot of people, you know, have kind of fallen in love again with with Vasquez, who did not make our top five because I wanted to. We wanted to put Jeter Downs in there, but even he had a big series with. Um, you know, with a, a home run in game or did he? Yeah, he had a home run in game four. But Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, here's the other thing too about Verdugo. There is always going to be a an invisible weight on his shoulders. This was the one player that came over for the Mookie Betts trade that people actually knew. Like people knew what position he played, people knew what he looked like. All five of us knew who Alex Verdugo was. So there is this extraordinary, unintentional burden on his shoulders to perform. If this isn't a likable guy, that trade will look even worse. So psychologically, everything he's doing, I'm so glad he has this almost like young person's energy because he scored plenty of runs. He's hit plenty of home runs. But the way that he scored that run, you would have thought it was his first one ever in the bigs. And that's the kind of fun, the love, the love for the game, the love for the team, the love for the fans that this this man possesses and is is going to be uh, electric. It's, it's going to be something that he's going to be able to pass on to the younger guys, too. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if you see some other younger rookies kind of emulate what Verdugo is doing because it's getting a positive response. I know Jason wanted to throw one more thing in there too. Yeah. I was just going to add if, if, you know, to answer the question, who's more likable than him on this team. The only guy I can think of, at least when he's pitching well, is Pavetta. Pavetta when he's on and he's fist pumping after striking out the side and he's getting fired up, uh, even when he's pissing off the race uh, for, you know, throwing inside because they're a bunch of wimps. Um, we love that. And, and, and it's great to see. So I would say like Verdugo and Pavetta are like your sort of emotional compasses for this team when, when they're going hot and, you know, they're fist pumping and they're getting fired up. The rest of the team kind of falls suit because Bogarts, we've always said it. He's not that guy. He's not demonstrative. He's just kind of quietly does what he does. And that's okay. There's a place for that. But I do think every team needs that guy, you know, for the longest time it was Ortiz. Ortiz was the emotional leader of the team as well as the offensive leader. Um, every team needs that sort of guy who just gets everyone riled up, especially again in a series like this where you start out 0 2 and you need to rally. So Verdugo, Pavetta, guys like that, it, you know, they do serve a purpose beyond just what they do on the field. And like you basically referred to Jason earlier on, it's just so much sweeter that Verdugo is the one punishing Yankees fans because he gets trolled the most out there. So, you know, he, he wants it as bad as anyone when he's up at the plate and 
was able to parlay that into uh, one win and had his fingerprints all over uh, the Game 4 win as well. Kind of blew right through this, which is kind of nice, actually. We're not even at the 40-minute mark. I just want to point out one thing before we do go on to the series uh, uh, preview against the Rays. Josh Winkowski, it's just it's too bad he had the start that he did because he 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 went five innings, gave up six hits, six earned runs, five walks, which led to those runs uh, scoring. I think he a grand slam. Who hit that? Was it Hicks? That was Donaldson. That was Donaldson. Yes, it was Donaldson. So if he was just a little sharper somehow we come out of this three to one. So um, I think he's got game three of the next series and that that's obviously a big one. So we'll, uh, we'll see if he gets it right. He's not a guy that I'm, I'm particularly worried about though uh, going forward, but I just was hoping the Yankees series would be a statement series for him because he's a little brash and I just felt like he would, he would really thrive in that moment. Well, and here's the thing for a guy like Winkowski. So he made headlines after the Cubs series where he said, oh, Wrigley's not that special. I didn't feel anything special pitching there. It just felt like a generic ballpark, which, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. He's I, not. I, <laughs> I, I think Cubs fans, yeah, I think Cubs fans have a little too high of an opinion about Wrigley Field and it being a place of doom necessarily. I don't think anyone else really feels that way. Um, but then after this Yankees game, so he, get, he goes out there, he gets tattooed, gives up a grand slam to Donaldson, gives up another homer after that to Hicks right afterwards, gets shelled. And after the game, he goes, well, yeah, it's the Yankees. I mean, Rizzo wasn't in there, and I think Judge sat that night too. He's like, yeah, it was just kind of like, yeah, it was like any other lineup. It's like, okay, Josh, you can't say that when you just gave up six runs and got your ass <laughs> I, I sort of like it because I like the brash, cocky pitcher who's just like, yeah, I don't care who I face, whatever. But it's like, you can't suck if you're going to say stuff like that. So I'm a little torn on Winkowski. I want to like him. I want him to be really good because I want him to kind of walk the walk and not just talk the talk. But he might want to just dial it back just a little bit because – uh, with an attitude like that, lineups are just going to – other teams going to go in there and just look to punish you because of the amount of trash you talk. So you might want to just dial it back a little bit. I, I'm trying to – it's too early, but I, I'm trying to pinpoint, like, a, a comparison for him. Like, Lance Lynn is a is a non-Red Sox name who's who's kind of brash and – Perhaps uh, maybe that will be a, a relevant comparison, but could could you see him being like a Josh Beckett type guy <laughs> in certain situations? He's got to pitch well to to earn that, but but Beckett would always say the wrong things, and but he had two rings, so what what are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say Beckett kind of did do that, even the years where Beckett was trash, he still wouldn't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Still talking, but like you said, he, he won two rings. So I think by that point he felt entitled, you know? Yeah. And, then, and, and he, was, he was a highly touted pitcher his whole career. Winkowski is just kind of, you know, he's, another guy. he's got to earn it. He does have to earn it for sure. And then, but a couple of years ago with Beckett at that, he was at like a, like a, it wasn't even a concert. It was just like a bar 
band performance and he ends up tackling the lead singer and gets arrested but I'm like it's, it's Beckett you know that's just how he is so I was a big Beckett apologist unfortunately but uh yeah all right so Charlie go ahead let's uh let's get into the series preview who do we got for game one yeah so game one we have Brian Bayo making his second professional start for the Boston Red Sox going up against Matt Whistler who will be making his fifth start this year. He's an opener, so he doesn't pitch long for Tampa Bay, um, but he is 2-2 two and two in games that he has started. Um, his ERA makes him look like an absolute stud. He's already pitched against Boston um, twice this year, did not do great in one of the games, did end up getting the win because it was a game that we went to extras, and the other game he pitched a clean inning. I'm going to give the edge to... Tampa Bay in this one I still don't know if I'm ready to commit to Brian Bayo being a starter um, and in Boston right now I think that Tampa Bay is still proven I think that he's gonna shake off the rust a little bit but this is a team that as you know you gentlemen have already mentioned got tattooed by you know Tampa Bay had his number I don't think it's gonna be pretty again I don't know if it'll be as bad but I still think that Tampa Bay is going to come back. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take Boston in this one. Um, Wander Frank goes out. So one of Tampa's best weapons is not going to play this series. He's back on the IL. Now we still know that Kevin Cash is going to do what Kevin Cash does. He's going to load up that lineup with left-handed hitters. He's going to try and throw Bayo off. I just feel like Bayo is going to rally for his second start. He's not going to have the jitters of making his first major league start. He's not going to have the jitters of, you know, just all that pressure being on him. Um, and I think the Red Sox are feeling a little bit of momentum right now. They just won two in a row against the best team in the American League. And Tampa's coming in. You know, they played well against Boston last time, but they still have a ton of injuries. And going with the opener in this one, I just feel like the Red Sox offense is going to jump on him. Um, hopefully Devers is back for this game. If he's back in the lineup and he's feeling healthy, who knows? We may get another two homer game out of him because that's what happened last time. He sat for a couple of games and then came back and had a monster game. So um, Red Sox offense is is playing pretty well right now. And I just think Bayo is I, – I, I actually think the kid is legitimately good. I Like I don't think that he's just another flash-in-the-pan kind of prospect. I think he's legit got good stuff. He's going to turn it around. He's going to pitch a lot better in this game. I'll take the Red Sox for game one. Franco kind of, he didn't exactly tattoo us last week when we played them, but he did have a hit in every game. And then there was one game he had three walks and that was the same game. He basically converted that into three runs. So not having him will certainly help, but I just, I'm just not supremely confident uh, with a lefty heavy lineup against Bayo. I hope he goes in there and, and shuts them down. And if he does, that'll be extremely encouraging. I don't think he gave up more than a, an earned run in any of his Worcester uh, starts. And he had four or five of them. So this dude was rolling before he came up. So, I'm just hoping he is a guy who can make adjustments and figure it out. But at face value, I have to take the raise in that one. 
All right. So uh, with the first game underway, it looks like we've got two for the Rays, one for the Sox. Jason, we all naturally hope you're right. Game two is going to feature a gentleman by the name of Chris Sale. You guys might have heard of him. He's going to be making his 2022 debut. I will most likely be wearing that jersey. I think the Red Sox are going to win. I I cannot bet against Chris Sale because I love that man. Uh, Corey Kluber did some great work against the Red Sox in his last appearance. He gave a quality start, allowed three base hits, uh, or three hits, excuse me, did not walk a batter, struck out five. They pulled him after 80 pitches. He probably could have gone a little further. But he did get rocked in April against the Red Sox. Um, so at Boston, he does great. At home, he does not. And right now, we're in Tampa Bay. So we do have that going for us. I'm curious to see how far Chris Sale is going to go into this game. But I'd like to give Chris Sale the edge for Boston and say that after game two, we're going to be split here one game to one. Well, I can bet against Chris Sale, and I'm going to. Um, I'm going to pick Tampa for game two. Um, Chris Sale sucked in his last rehab start, and that's when he tried to tear Worcester to the ground. Um, Corey Kluber, you know, he's struggled against the Red Sox at times, but his last outing did pretty well. And like Charlie said, I don't know what you're going to get out of Chris Sale. Are you going to get five, six innings, or is it going to be more like three and two thirds where he struggles with his pitch counts and has to be pulled early. I think it's more going to be the latter. I think he's, he's going to struggle in this one. First start back in a long time. Tampa's lineup is difficult. They, they work at bats. They, they make pitchers struggle a little bit. You know, they don't just swing out of their asses. They, they give really good tough at bats. So, and they've seen Chris, Chris Sale before. A lot of these guys in that lineup have seen Chris Sale before. So it's not going to be, you know, a total mystery to them. I just think Tampa's approach against guys like him and him having to go up against Kluber. And again, Chris Sale and his rehab starts has not looked great. He hasn't looked terrible, but he hasn't looked great. He's just kind of looked like an average pitcher. So I'm not sure what you can really expect out of him. I think this is a tough matchup for him coming back. I'm going to take Tampa in game two. I have to take Tampa as well. I just, Chris Sale can't get guys out. After three innings in Worcester against a minor league lineup, he needed 73 pitches to get through three innings. That's not what I want to see. That, Looks to me like a continuation of the struggles we saw him have last year when he, at least once or twice, only lasted maybe two or three innings, got pulled early. He doesn't seem like a guy that's figured it out. I want to be wrong. We have a lot of money invested in him. I think we got at least two more years of him after uh, 2022. So I want him to figure it out, but... That's a very pesky lineup, and I think they're going to be patient. And I think the I think Kluber is going to continue what he left off with six scoreless innings in his last outing last week against us. I picked the Rays in game two. It's going to be ugly in game three. Um, 
The Red Sox have Winkowski pitching, and the Tampa Bay Rays have, I believe, Jason's Cy Young pick for 2022, Shane McClanahan. Josh Winkowski allowed six runs in his last appearance against the Yankees. Twice this year, he's allowed four runs or more, and that's in a total of six starts. Shane McClanahan has not allowed more than two earned runs in his last 12. Shane McClanahan's ERA is down to 1.77, and he is averaging well past one strikeout per inning. I don't think anyone is going to pick against Shane McClanahan. Uh, You just shouldn't. So Tampa Bay, easy. Beat you back in April. He beat you back in April, pitched well in that game. He's been a monster ever since. And again, I just don't have total faith in Josh Winkowski. Um, I'm sure if he wasn't impressed with Wrigley, he's going to love Tropicana Field too. Uh, can't wait to see what he says about that after the game. But and I, and I actually don't. I don't think that Winkowski is going to get shelled in this game. I think he will pitch better against that Tampa lineup. I just McClanahan's too nasty. Again, I, I picked him to win Cy Young for a reason. This guy's unbelievable. He's the next Tampa pitcher that's you know gonna if he doesn't win the Cy Young, at least get close and then you know, sign a mega deal somewhere else, but he's, he's got legit stuff and he's just been on too hot of a tear recently. I just don't see the Red Sox offense the way they're going right now. It's, it's a little inconsistent. I don't see them beating him. So game three goes to Tampa. I hate that. I'm doing this because I'm picking the Red Sox to get swept, but there's no viable way I can pick Josh Winkowski to beat Shane McClanahan in, in this situation. I think McClanahan can go seven innings. He's done that in two out of his last three starts. I don't see why he won't be able to do it against the Red Sox. You look at the lineup right now, Jaron Duran struggling. How's Jeter Downs going to fare against a guy like McClanahan? It's tough to find a hero. Is Devers going to be back? I think that's the plan, but who really knows? And if he does come back, is he going to be 100%? There's just too many too many question marks with this Red Sox lineup. And I'm glad we salvaged two against the Yankees. I, I hope they prove me wrong against against the race, but I don't like the matchups. If we had, I know Pavetta didn't look good today, but if, if he was in the series, my confidence might go up a little bit. If Avoldi was back and healthy, my confidence would be up a little bit. He's going to have a rehab start by the way, in Worcester this week. So Chris Hale had two, so I don't see why Avoldi will have more than that. So we'll get him back. Probably not, till right after the first series after the all-star break is when we'll get him back. But I got, I got the Sox getting swept at the trop. Any final thoughts? No, I just, I, I, you know, I don't blame you for picking the sweep. I mean, even the game I picked him to win, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm putting my faith in Bayo to actually turn it around, but, I don't know. It's it, it's a tough time right now. Just so many guys missing and and so many moving pieces with this team. And the Rays are just such an annoying 
team and they and they don't go away. I also feel like Tropicana Field's one of those, you know, sort of places of doom for the Red Sox. I feel like they never play well down there. So that's part of it too. It's just that they always seem to suck when they go to the trop. So I still haven't losing two out of three, but I hope that they prove me wrong because they they need to they need to get some of these games back. Funny story for the listeners. We have uh, you know a private group chat on Twitter. We call it the War Room, and I said what I think it was two or three nights ago. I said the Red Sox could be under five hundred by the time we get to the All Star break, which was there was still these two games left to go against the Yankees. And then what nine or ten more games beyond that? Andrew wanted to bet me a hundred bucks. I was so tempted. I was so tempted. I I pride myself. I don't lose a lot of bets because I I, I don't bet a lot, and I I'm very calculated. And it's always just bets between friends. By the way, I'm not like you know on the Vegas sites or anything. But I nearly took it, and I think uh, these last two wins would have. Uh, took me out of it because we're eight above now so um so yeah thank goodness for that but we will be back tomorrow with totally legit or calling the cops that's always uh a favorite amongst the audience so i'm sure you'll enjoy it and then uh we'll be back on let's see wednesday i think to cover the tampa bay race series with the midweek crew Everyone take care.